I just feel like uh, today, um, I don't know about you, but boy, wow, the past few days, uh, I feel like I've been eating for seven days in a row and stuff, and I just want to come here and just be, you know, and be in Him and breathe, and um, title today is Stay Close to Your Savior, and um, that's what it's all about. We look at that as we wrap up the last uh, couple days of a decade, and we go into a new decade. Can you believe 2020? Uh, I don't know about you, but I want some good vision for my spiritual life in 2020, and um, I, I hope and pray that this uh, message brings a lot of blessing to you. And so we begin with this scripture uh, from Paul. It's for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Well, I want to say Merry Christmas to you, and um, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas day. I know uh, our family did. It was very relaxing, and it was just good to be with uh, my family. We have five beautiful services here Christmas Eve, and I just got the count from Mark Putman. We had uh, 2,080 or so people uh, walk through the doors of this church on Christmas Eve, and I rejoice in that. Amen. So throughout Advent, we we talked about how we can experience the depths of salvation in Jesus Christ. And today, we want to talk about how we can stay close, attached in, in him to Christ, and how we can continue to grow in our faith. And what we just read on the scripture is a letter to Titus, and it was written by Paul to him, and who was overseeing a church on the island of Crete. In verse 11, Paul tells us why God sent Jesus into the world. For the grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. And it's amazing that this grace, uh, wrapped in diapers, we gathered around just a few days ago uh, in that manger full of hay, and we behold him, and we see that grace is written throughout the ministry of his life, death, and resurrection. And so what is grace? Grace is the unconditional, unmerited, extravagant love, sacrificial love of God. Paul goes on to tell us that this grace has a twofold purpose. Uh, this grace helps us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and help us to live a life in this world to, to keep, I think, the influences of the world from infiltrating our lives. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates it. He says, take on a God-filled and God-honoring life. And we are to live in this way as we wait for the blessed hope which is the second coming of Jesus Christ, and Paul calls it that. So how do we do this? How do we say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live uh, a self-controlled, upright, and godly life? And Paul makes it so, sound so simple. Really, he, he, when you boil it down and you look at it, he just says, it's almost like he said, just say no to it. I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but that doesn't work for me. It doesn't. The key word, though, is that key word in the text is grace. When you try to understand grace and experience it and remain in it, grace will set you free 
like nothing else that you can experience in this world. You may even understand the Christian faith in an entirely different way than the way you were brought up to believe. Jesus says to his followers, remain in my love. I believe on a human journey together, in the negative and positive experiences, each stage of life, God is constantly saying to us, my child, please remain in my love. Why? Because his grace, it tells us in the Bible, is sufficient for us. My grace is sufficient for thee. My love is sufficient for thee. Today, in the present, as we're mindful of that, and into 2020. Here's why I see why it is so vital to see and to know the love of God. If you read what Paul says, spiritual growth comes from grace. Love is really the soil. That grace is the soil that grows us. It's the nutrients. Grace, not our will, teaches us not to be pulled away from God by the influences. I believe when we see and discover the depths of his love and remain in that love, we can say without a shadow of a doubt, I don't want to do anything outside of your will, oh God. I don't want to violate your love because you are amazing and I want to be connected to that love. And so who's responsible for our spiritual growth in that love? When I used to teach confirmation, I would tell young people this. When you are confirmed in your confirmation, you're now officially responsible for your relationship and remaining in that love. You have moved out from the influence of your parents' faith, and you're now confirmed in Christ. Now, you still gain influence from their faith and their legacy that they live, but you are responsible now. And so, what is our part in this? Some Christians take on the position that spiritual growth is all about God's job, and others take on the position that it's all about us and our job. Who is responsible? No matter what stage of our, our life and spiritual growth, it is vital to understand that it is a two-way street of holiness. It means our role in spiritual growth is so important that we believe and take on these things and practices and know that God changes us and transforms us. And we need to learn the rhythms and walk by faith together and individually. Paul's urging each member of the church to keep working on being made whole in God, but Paul is also thinking about the health of the general congregations, that they must pay attention to this together, which is pretty cool. And I love that accountability in the body of Christ. And it requires our time and our energy and our spiritual awareness together. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and he doesn't want us to have any anxiety or worry about our salvation or belonging to Christ. He's just saying together we do that. And he follows it up with verse 13. He doesn't stop there. He says, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to work, to both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, you aren't doing this project on your own, my friends. Like I said, there's a two-way street of holiness. And when we seek God and we love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and desire to fall in love, he makes sure that this holiness begins to grow in us. And it happens. Even the desire to live that fully devoted life comes from God. And it's a gift. It's hard to 
look how hard it is to change ourselves. You ever tried to just change one bad habit? It's tough. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Thomas Akempis wrote in his classic book, The Imitation of Christ, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be since you cannot make yourself as you wish to be. That's a great quote. So we have a role, but we don't call the shots. We don't control it. Richard Foster says, the needed change within us is God's work, not ours. The demand is for an inside job. Only God can work from the inside. God loves you and is at work in you. I like how Henry Nouwen describes it. He says, it's as if it's a green apple turning into a red apple. It doesn't strain. I'm going to try to become a red apple. You know, I'm going to try to become ripe. It's not willing itself to become ripe. No, it simply remains and relies on the sun and the attachment to that tree. And then when it's ripe, it's ready. And it falls into our hand or conks somebody on the head, waking them up. Rip, bam, winkle. In the same way, maybe that wasn't rip, bam, winkle, but... In the same way it is with our spiritual growth. We can't control or manufacture it. It's not about us coming with a program or predictable results. And so I think you get it. And the Bible calls it, it does call it abiding, abide. What does it mean to abide or remain in him? I like to use the illustration of, I'm not a big tea drinker. But when I do drink tea, I put a couple of tea bags in there. And then I tie the tea bags on the handle of the cup. And I allow that to just remain in there so that tea gets nice and dark. Or if it's peppermint tea that I like to enjoy, it gets nice and dark green. Now, my wife goes, blink, 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 a little spoon, and then she throws the bag away. I like that tea bag to abide in there. I like it strong, and it remains. And almost sometimes it almost disintegrates the bag where at the, at the bottom you get, like, tea leaves, you know, at the, and you're like, duh, duh. Anyway, but you see, we can have that type of abiding relationship to where our faith grows stronger we can taste and see it and people other people can so how do we enable this spiritual growth to take place and so every religion has a set of practices that devotees follow islam has five pillars judaism has its observances of of worship prayer festivals and the kosher diet Buddhism has three jewels. Hinduism has three paths. All of these are spiritual disciplines that help adherence to those religions to be aware of the divine in a routine of daily living. And Christianity has them too. And I'm going to talk about them in a moment. But the, these disciplines and these other religions, there's a huge difference between those practices and our practices. You see, in other religions, those practices are actually earning divine favor. Ours is not. In the book of Romans, Paul goes to great lengths to explain that we don't earn our salvation. We do not. The transformation of wholeness occurs with us, in us, and it's a gift of God. We cannot attain or earn righteousness. This is placed upon us through the life, death, and ministry of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing you do or don't do makes you love him or makes him love you any more or less. So what place do these practices have in our lives? 
They're means of grace. Their means are ways or directionality that we can, can begin to grow in that love relationship. And it's a dynamic thriving when we do practice those together. Means of grace allow us to place ourselves before God so he can transform us. And they don't earn that favor. You see, there's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. In spiritual practice, we can know God more and more and more. My mom and dad, we lived, they, they moved to a cabin out in Indiana, and they had this neighbor, and I can't remember his name, but he used to sit there, and I was a freshman in college, I'd go visit my kids, or my mom and dad, not my kids, I didn't have any kids back then. <laughs> oh my goodness, anyway, it's the holidays, give me, give me, give me some grace, but this guy would, he would say all the time, Jonathan, get to know me. And he would say that every time I'd, I'd see him. And I think he just wanted to sit down in a lawn chair in our front yard there in rural Indiana and just have me get to know him. So God is saying that, get to know me. Don't just get to know about me. Find out in me and abide in me. And so what are these practices that we experience? Right now, Mark Rowland is telling the 11 o'clock traditional about these practices that we all, together as Anderson Hills, get to participate in as a community and individually. As we read through the gospel, we see Jesus practicing certain disciplines. He found time in prayer, solitude, simple and sacrificial living and generosity, serving, meditating on God's word, and he constantly was inviting others to participate in that with him. And then he did it alone as well. And his followers continued these practices that Christ had showed them. And we see it in Acts chapter 2 in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, meeting in homes for breaking of bread, prayer, sharing their resources with everyone who had need, and worshiping in the temple. And these, these practices were a regular daily part of the life in Christ. The koinonia, which is the Greek word for deep reality of community that they participated in. And they did it together. And they also did it with their own spiritual growth. And they were, they didn't, this wasn't superficial. They wanted to go deep with God. So about 15 years ago... The leadership team here at Anderson Hills began a way of thinking about these disciplines and bringing them to the forefront of, of our life together in Christ. And, and a lot of, after a lot of prayer and visioning and conversation, the leadership boiled down these practices to six. There are more, but they thought that they can get everyone into the congregation to get on the same path and rhythm of practicing a habit. They called them, we called them the six habits. And I referred to it, I know Chip referred to the card here and grab one of these and eventually we'll get there. But on this card are the six habits and they'll be right up here. And they, they're written in the, the wing. When you walk through the west wing doors, they're written on the walls and you can see that. We can see that together. The first habit is to spend time with God daily. This life is challenging, and when we spend time with God, maybe first thing in the morning, I believe it's like antiseptic for that day. It really is. 
It's like washing your teeth and stuff before you go out. You don't want to go out with that kind of stinky sleep breath. You brush your teeth and swish it with some mouthwash, and that's how I see it in a deeper level for my cleansing of my soul for that day. And spending time with God is the number one habit that will help you grow. Whether you're just getting started in your spiritual life or if you're fully mature, that habit, as you spend time with God, God is able to guide you in his life and will for each stage of the human journey. And it's critical for us. In prayer, we begin to think uh, God's thoughts and listen to his desire for his will and purpose in our life. And we learn things from God's point of view. So how do we get started in this rhythm? I think about having the same time in the same place every day becomes routine. I like to do mine in the morning. I wait until I'm home alone or I can be somewhere alone because I get so distracted easy. You know, there's a bird. And, and I need to get centered. And I breathe. And I, I wait until I'm alone with God. I get that perfect cup of coffee and I've learned over years as I understand myself I need my mind to be clear so I can be present to him and listen most of all to him and then I pray simply as if he is my friend he is I gain nourishment from this bible reading plan that we practice we do we and this is on our app and I, I love pulling up my smartphone, and pulling up that app and seeing the daily reading. I know my wife is doing it, and I know you guys are doing it together. And this is like a big, juicy, 70-gram uh, protein shake in the morning for us. And we drink this together, and we gain nourishment, and we live in God's Word together daily. And it's a blessing, and it's easy, and that's how I practice that. And I'm blessed by daily prayers uh, contained in those readings. And I know that we're praying them together. And I pray for folks that I know that are going through a difficult time. And I pray for the church and our staff. And I pray for my family. I pray for you, this congregation, and for wisdom and guidance for that day. And like I said, it's like antiseptic. The second practice is give generously of resources. Our second habit is this. And the Bible has a lot to say about generosity. Acts 2, 44 through 45, has these remarkable words. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their possessions and their goods and distribute the proceeds to all and any as they had need. So this was pretty amazing that the early church was so incredible with their generosity and their graciousness that it pervaded the the way in which their personal possessions were no longer a big deal. That was inevitable to happen. If someone, someone needed help, the members of the church did whatever was necessary to help out. And the community and surrounding uh, secular world saw this and they marveled at it. In verse 47, it says, having the goodwill of the people, the public looked at the sacrificial lifestyle of the early church in that movement, and they saw how we cared for each other, and they wanted to be a part of it, and it was an incredible witness. What would happen if our witness became this together? If they saw this lifestyle of generosity 
They saw big-hearted people, and they said, that's what I'm looking for. And people are looking for those big-hearted people in this world. We wouldn't want, people wouldn't want, would just totally couldn't keep away from that type of generosity. And of course, it's hard to be generous if you're deeply in debt. So what Anderson Hills has done is we have provided a Financial Peace University class coming up January 16th. And there's Vic over there. And it'll help you learn how to reduce your debt so that you can live generously. The third habit is to participate in a small group. All of us need to be in community together. We long for it. The church exists to provide support through small communities. And the small group is what Jesus modeled with his 12 disciples. He wanted to train up leaders in the church so that they could pass on the same type of community training. He hung out with them. He listened with, to them. He lived with them. He taught them. He modeled for them these disciplines. And then before he left them, he said, okay, now you go out and do what I have done. And so several of Paul's letters sent to the people, uh, to the churches, and the people in those churches, they sent them out because they were already meeting in their homes, those second places, because they had not yet build, built the brick-and-mortar churches. And these home gatherings were the heart of the disciple-making process. And they remained and abided in Christ together. Not only are small groups biblical, they're also historical. Small groups are the part of our DNA as Methodists. Wesley discovered in England that many people who were coming to faith in Christ during his preaching were quickly backsliding because of the influences of the world pulling them back out of a life in Christ, of abiding. So he would organize classes and small group for deep accountability, and they were trusted, and they built community, and there was confidentiality, and they were working on these bad habits together in that commonality. They'd have a, they would have a Bible reading plan together, and the questions that they asked one another would dig deeper, and they would pray for each other. They would have fellowship. They would share a meal. It was all early church practice. You can join one in the start of the year in 2020. Our website makes it so easy. If you go to our website and you click on the adults link, you'll find a list of groups. And you can fill out even a group placement form. And Amy Tomlinson or another person will get back with you and put you into a group. It's that easy. The next habit is share my faith. We have to be the type of people who share what God is doing in us and show that to others. The purpose of the church is not to have some holy huddle, but to reach beyond the walls of the church to our family, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors. And the mission of the gospel is to be shared together. This is one of the hardest of the six habits, isn't it? A lot of Christians find it hard to share about what God is doing in their lives. In the ninth chapter of John's gospel, Jesus heals a man born blind. And when he's trying to answer questions from these skeptics about his healing, he simply gets down to the bare bones and, say, and says, I don't know all the answers to your theological questions. One thing I do know is that I was blind and now I see. 
That's, I was once lost, and now I'm found. I was once in darkness, and now I am in the light of God. And what does that mean specifically as we share that? And when we ponder what God has done and put that in a few sentences, people can begin to realize that God can do the same for them. And we plant that seed. Trust me, I, 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 I already assume because of God's love wooing people into relationship that God is already working behind the scenes in the life of that person in a dynamic way trying to woo that person in relationship and heal them and have, so that they can experience the wholeness of salvation. And we should all assume that because you know what? God is. Jesus said when the Son of Man is lifted high on the cross, he's going to draw all people to himself. And we see that in what he has done for us. Our fifth habit is serving others. When we serve others, we're serving God. And he makes that evident in Matthew 25. When I was hungry, you gave me something to drink. Or food. (laughs) When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me, and so forth. You know, and I, and we shouldn't. I don't out of duty or fear or guilt, thinking like, God, look at me, I'm serving others. No, we just do it because of his great love for us, and we automatically transform or transfuse that into others because of his love. He has created created me and saved me and forgiven me of my sins, and he has given me a new life of meaning, and i got to pass that on and tell others about it. And I tell you what, I owe everything to him. Last Monday, my wife and I and uh, my, my son, Ben, Benjamin, we went down to uh, the, under the Third Street Bridge. And if you track me on Facebook, I always post it because I want people to see that there are a lot of needy people. And it's downtown under the Third Street Bridge, just a couple of blocks uh, from Paul Brown Stadium. Every Monday night, Christians come down there and they feed the needy. And it's probably over 150, and they have a clothing truck, and we, we just go down there and love on people. And I just walk through the line, I'm going, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to all these folks. And it was just a wonderful blessing. And I do that because serving is so reciprocal. When we serve and we love out of that love for Christ, we just experience reciprocal, reciprocal ways in which it blesses our lives as well. I know many times we are bless more than the person that we are serving. Lastly, last habit is worship God regularly. Worship is at the heart of the church. That's why you and I were created. We were created to be freed in order to worship God and to praise God. And soon after the resurrection, Christians began to gather on Sundays to sing, pray, hear God's word, celebrate Holy Communion, and be refreshed with the Holy Spirit through the ministry of worship. And for 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering in worship to the resurrected Christ. So effective Christians commit themselves to these habits. Our six habits here at Anderson Hills are at the core of, those, of that practice. In three days, we'll begin, like I said, a new decade, 2020. And I think there's no better way to start than to make a decision to practice these six habits. And I'd like to, if you raise your hand and you need one of these cards, I know the ushers are ready to pass out these cards. And I want to put up this, this, um, this slide here. Leave it blank. 
where it says Senior Pastor 2020, because Mark signs, when we submit these, he signs every one of them. And I know last year he signed over 500. I'm like, man, how does he do that? And then it gets laminated and given back to you somehow. And so the ushers have these baskets at the end of the service so you can put these cards in. And so before you do, as we begin this new year, I want you to join me in what Methodists have been praying or have been praying from the beginning of their formation for uh, centuries. And I'd like for you to join me in praying this together, and it's called the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Let's pray. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.